Well, good morning. Man, you guys actually replied. It's amazing uh, being able to just see your faces and uh, celebrate with you guys here. Um, again, my name is Jacob Warren. I serve as one of the pastors here at Veritas Church, and uh, it's my honor uh, this morning, this is the very first sermon I get to preach here in this building, and uh, I owe that privilege to you guys because um, so many of you over the past number of weeks have uh, just given of your time, your, your, your energy, your effort, your prayers, uh, your money, and you made it happen. Uh, you got us into this space. You got us into this building. You put together chairs. Uh, uh, you uh, helped us build a stage. Uh, we've got a drum booth, y'all. I mean, like, we can, we can hear each other sing in here. This is amazing. And um, it's just, uh, I know it's an understatement to say this, uh, but I'll say it anyways. Thank you. Veritas Church, thank you, thank you, thank you. But um, if you're new here with us this morning, know that we exist as a church for the fame of Jesus in all things, and, and our mission together as a church isn't fancy at all. It's to make disciples that love God, love people, and advance the gospel. So if you're new, we are really, really, really happy that you're here, um, and uh, we want to uh, welcome you into this church family. And so maybe consider filling out one of those Connect cards that's in a, a seat back near you. Uh, if you look around uh, in the front of you, there's little Connect cards there. Maybe consider filling that out, dropping it in one of the gift buckets as they pass later on in the gathering, or taking it out to the table with the V on it called the Connect table out in the lobby and talking to one of our volunteers out there. Um, but before we dive into our text together for this morning in uh, the book of Hebrews, I want to start with a question. A question that's going to be very relevant to like where we're going in this passage together. And the question is this, what is impressive to you? Like what is impressive when you look at it? What's the thing that you follow on Instagram? What's the thing that, that when you see a news story pass, uh, you, you want to click on that, you want to, to follow whatever that thing is, what's impressive to you? Maybe you're a car guy and uh, you all, everybody knows a car guy, right? If you're a dude in the room, you've got a friend He's a car guy. He knows what cars are. He knows what engines in them. He knows all of that. That's what's impressive to him. Maybe it's money. Uh, maybe you're, you're impressed by people that are able to just build wealth and accrue it. Maybe it's intellect. Uh, you you, you uh, like want to be an intellect yourself, and so you follow them, and you want to read what they're reading. Maybe it's talent or accomplishments. But to the audience that the book of Hebrews, this letter was written to, uh, what was impressive to them the thing that they wanted to follow, the thing that they wanted to know about, it may be a little bit surprising to you, but it was angels. Angels. In our day, in our society, uh, you might be thinking like, what in the world? Why would people be obsessed with angels? Why, why would those be impressive? You mean those chubby little things with the harps and bows? You know, we get a February and it's Valentine's Day and you get sent a card. There's those chubby, fat little things. No, not at all. See, in history, angels have been depicted in many different ways, but very little of them have been actually derived from what the Bible actually describes them, what the Bible actually talks about them. The thing that first, the, the, the first thing out of most people's mouth when they meet an angel in the Bible um, is, oh no, I'm going to die. That's because what angels say when they meet people in the Bible is say, Fear not, because they must be really intimidating, right? They must be incredibly scary, and they knew it. Uh, maybe you've met an intimidating person yourself. Maybe you've had the privilege of meeting just like a, like a pro wrestler-sized kind of guy. He's 6'7", he's huge, he's maybe a power lifter, and he reaches out his hand to shake yours, and you might be thinking, like, he's going to crush every single bone in my hand if I, if I, if I shake hands with him. This is kind of what it would be like to meet an angel except times a thousand. See, angels were intimidating, 
Because uh, just think about this as we survey the Old Testament's uh, usage of angels. Angels are mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament and in the New. In the book of Isaiah, angels appear to the prophet as he has this vision from God where he sees uh, God in his temple on his throne, and he sees these seraphim. And the, the, literally the word seraphim means burning ones. And these two seraphim are, are hovering, and when they have three sets of wings covering their face and their feet, and other two wings beating and flying as they flew. And remember, their, their, their names is burning ones. So whatever Isaiah saw, these things, were, they looked like they were on fire, and, and, and they roared, holy, 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 in worship and uh, praise of God continually. This unsurprisingly leaves Isaiah a little bit traumatized, right? In the book of Revelation, think about in John's Revelation where they are described as assembling in myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. And we are told that angels themselves execute judgment upon the world and Satan himself. So if angels are this awesome and powerful, what exactly are angels? See, angels are are spiritual beings and, and ultimately they are God's servants. And his commentary on Hebrews, Kent Hughes, a pastor and theologian, tells us that angels have at least four specific functions. First, angels continuously worship and praise the God that they serve. Second, angels communicate God's message to man. Angels administer to believers. Yes, you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus, We are ministered to by angels, and angels be God's agents in the final earthly judgment and second coming. See, angels are awesome beings, and they wield terrific power. But despite all of that, and all that makes them amazing, they pale in comparison to King Jesus. So why is the writer of Hebrews going to defend Jesus against these angels here? And it's because of this. His audience was primarily Jewish, and they were in danger of compromising Jesus' authority and lapsing back into Judaism. Just think about these these early Christians who were Jewish. They had the threat of persecution from Nero and the Romans, the threat of real threat of danger and death. And so wouldn't you want to recoil back to, to the community that raised you? The, the, the people that, uh, that brought you up, the, the people that protected you, the, that fed you? See, if only they would compromise and kind of roll back into their Jewish family members and say that Jesus wasn't God and maybe just an angel, maybe even the greatest of angels, they could fit back in with their Jewish communities again. See, this wouldn't be an outright rejection of Jesus altogether. It would just be an acceptable compromise to let them fit back in again. This is why this message this morning is not just for the Hebrews, but it's also for us. We need to hear this message this morning because we are constantly being tempted to do the same thing that these people are doing, compromise on Jesus, compromise on who he is and who he says he is. Our culture wants to say, and people around us just want to say, Jesus was just the very best of humans, but not God incarnate. Let's just say that Jesus was the greatest human teacher that ever lived, but not that his word is infallible. See, the phrase uh, I think that is useful here that many of us have heard before is this. It's an equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That means if we add anything to the gospel of Jesus, our works, our good deeds, our own efforts, we actually lose the gospel because it means we did something to try to earn it for ourselves 
or try to add on to the work that Jesus has already accomplished for us. But also the inverse of this is true as well. If we take something away from Jesus, if we try to subtract something from the, his person and his work, his, definitive, his divinity, his authority, even his human nature that he took on for us, we lose the gospel as well. See, what's at stake here in this passage this morning is salvation itself. And that's what I hope what we see together in this text this morning is this, the main point of our passage. We should continually be amazed at the greatness of Jesus as the only one who could bring about salvation. Don't just take it from me. Let's see it in the text ourselves. Grab your Bibles and meet me in the first chapter of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5, uh, together this morning, all the way through chapter 2, verse 4. It'll also come up on the screens for us. And if you grabbed one of those uh, black hardback Bibles at the back of the room, um, and you don't own a Bible, please accept that Bible as our gift to you this morning. Uh, we want you to love the Bible and love the God of the Bible, who we believe is Jesus. And we hope that this passage points you to that eternal truth this morning. Let me read this uh, passage out loud for us this morning. The very word of God speaks to us like this. For to who, which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wins and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and in the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let me pray again for God's help. Jesus, again, as we dive into your word this morning, God, I pray um, that your gospel would be on full display and that the greatness and the supremacy of you, King Jesus, would be on full display this morning. God, protect the, the words of my mouth, um, the intentions of my heart, God, as I get to proclaim these words to your people. And uh, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see this morning and ears to hear uh, from you alone by the power of your spirit. We pray this together as Jesus' church. Everyone said, amen. 
All right. This passage divides fairly neatly into two main sections, uh, verses 5 through 14 of chapter 1 highlighting our great Savior, and and then 2nd chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, giving us a dire warning about neglecting our great salvation. Let's start with verses 5 through 14, our great Savior. So again, the, the writer of Hebrews is very concerned about his Jewish audience here. He's very concerned about his brothers and sisters. He will under, that they will underestimate the greatness of Jesus and, and make this huge mistake of, of putting him at the same level of angels. Uh, in our, our weekly planning session uh, this past week, we were gathered around a table out there in the lobby, and uh, like we do, we would call it review preview, where we review uh, the past week and we preview uh, the week ahead, and we were looking at this text uh, this week together, and uh, Sam Matheny, our director of operations, said, it seems like the writer of Hebrews is really argumentative, and like, she was absolutely right, 100% right. Uh, the writer of Hebrews here, he is making an argument. You can kind of feel some of the heat uh, that the writer of Hebrews is dishing out here. He wants to make sure that these people uh, get the message that you do not equate Jesus with angels, that Jesus is certainly greater than any angel ever. And what the author of Hebrews does in verses in 5 through 14 of chapter 1 is decimate any argument that would want to compare Jesus and angels. I mean, he goes for the jugular here. And he does this by systematically quoting from the Old Testament to show that Jesus is far greater than any angel and should not be compared to them at all. And he quotes from five places to show the clear superiority of Christ. And and here's the the writer's five points, and they'll come up on the screens for us, that Jesus is greater than than all of these things. Uh, It's the next bit of ones, the ones that say Jesus is greater. Uh, He has a greater name. Jesus has a greater honor. Uh, Jesus has a greater status. Jesus has a greater existence. And Jesus has a greater vocation. The writer first goes after a greater name. And this first quote is uh, actually quoted from Psalm 2, verse 7. And what this did, uh, when the writer quoted, you are my son, today I have begotten you, this name that Jesus has, he uh, is affirmed at his baptism as well. We remember from the Gospels when Jesus was baptized, where the heavens parted, and a voice sounding from heaven proclaimed, this is my beloved Son, not, not my, beloved, my beloved servant, not my beloved Jesus even. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in Jewish thought, a person's name, it actually revealed his essential nature. That's why so many people in the Old Testament, their names have something to do with their life story. It kind of sums them up uh, quite a bit. So Jesus has this name as the Son of God. It means that Jesus, as eternally having this name of Son, means that it's a name that he will always keep. Like, I don't care who you are, if, if you have been born from a mother and a father, there's nothing that can revoke the fact that you are that person, that, that man or woman's son or daughter. It's, it's always and forever eternally true about you from that point Forward, but Jesus not only gets this title son, uh, when he is born into the world as a man, he's always retained this in his divinity. He's always retained the status as son of God from eternity past to eternity future. He's always been the son of God. So evidently this phrase, today I have begotten you here, refers to Jesus's exaltation and enthronement after his resurrection from the grave. So the conclusion of this first bit that Jesus has a greater name means that angels are God's servants, 
But Jesus is God's son. And, and for good measure, the writer quotes 2 Samuel 7.14 says, implying that never to any of the angels did God ever say, I will be to him a father. See, no angel has ever heard these words spoken directly to him, even though it has been the message on their lips to Jesus, but also to us. And the second thing that the writer goes after is Jesus' far greater honor in verses 5 through 6. Here the writer turns to the final lines of the, the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, and he says, it should make us think about the angel's initial response to the incarnation of Jesus. See, we're fresh off the heels of Christmas, are we not? We're, uh, in, even in the Charlie Brown Christmas special uh, that many of us may have watched over the past few weeks, we hear the words uh, that were given by the angels singing, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill with those whom God is pleased. This glory to God in the highest, that praise, that honor was directed to Jesus who was born as a son. So what this means is that Jesus is worthy of worship. According to the scriptures, he's worthy of worship. Angels aren't worthy of worship, but Jesus are. Angels are even commanded to worship God and, and, and worship Jesus and also instructed us to worship him. Just go read Revelation and hear the command to worship him, the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb again and again over and over through that book. Then the writer goes after the status of Jesus in his third argument for the greatness of Jesus. Jesus has a greater status. This is highlighted by Psalm 104 and Psalm 45 that he quotes here. And the latter really shows us the dimension of Christ's rule. Because in the, the psalm, it, it describes his throne, his, his scepter, and, and his, uh, his anointing. And in talking about Christ's rule, that he sits on a throne, it means that his rule will never end. He's seated on a throne in authority. And he has a scepter, which symbolizes his authority over all things. And it will be executed in righteousness. Because he is the king of glory. He's the one who, who executes justice fully. And also talks about his anointing. He's the one, this is what sets him apart as the king of kings and lord of lords. Angels might do incredible things in the Bible. And, and we may see angels do incredible things. But at the end of the day, they are servants of King Jesus. So angels are servants and Jesus is sovereign. See, the fourth proof of Jesus' uh, greatness, the writer quotes from Psalm 102. Look at verse 10 through 12 again. It says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. In the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. See, the writer here, connecting this to Jesus, means to show us that Jesus himself is the one who laid the foundations in, of the earth in the very beginning of all things. And he will be the same forever because his years will have no end. Jesus is eternal. He, he will never die. He'll never pass away. He'll never change because he is God himself. This is a colossal claim, yet it is true. Angels are mighty, but they are created ones. And Jesus is the almighty creator. And finally, we get to the writer's fifth and final point, that Jesus has a greater vocation. 
We think about vocation. Maybe some of you are younger in the room. Maybe you're a child here. You don't know what vocation means. Vocation means your job, the thing that you do, the thing that, you're, uh, you, the thing that you work towards. So angels have one job. Remember, they're the, the created ones who do the will of God. This last section, verses 13, 13 and 14, tell us the vocation of Jesus. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So the point here is clear. Angels are sent to serve, and Jesus sits in ultimate supremacy over all things. It doesn't get any higher than the almighty throne of God, and Jesus now and forever sits on it. And that doesn't make the role of angels unimportant. Far from it. But it does put it in perspective. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he's the one who ensures his rule against any enemy. And you know what Jesus does with all of that power and all of that authority? He sends out angels as ministering servants for us, to serve us in our times of need. I know that it's kind of not cool to talk about some of this in, in our day and age where we, we were so scientific and we think everything can be proved with a formula and you've got to have picture evidence of everything. But there are countless stories of dreams sent to people that knew nothing about Jesus that were, were delivered by angels, missionaries saved from the jaws of certain death and believers rescued from all manner of harm from unknown messengers of God. For certain, we shouldn't act foolishly thinking that, well, I'm just going to go do this thing that's really foolish. An angel will probably save me, you know? I'm just going to, you know, take a leap off this building and just hope angels catch me when I fall. You know, he's going to keep my, phone from, my foot from stumbling for anything. No, we, we don't act foolishly, but we can be certain that angels have a role to play in the advancement of the gospel around the world, whether we know it or not, because any fame or glory due for a rescue or a miracle doesn't belong to angels all of that glory belongs to the great Savior who sent them. And here's where the writer makes a huge turn and warns his audience and us this morning of three final things. First, the possibility of drifting away from the good news of the gospel because of drifting away from Jesus and believing something else. A warning of what really is at stake if we do. And finally, a reminder of the re reliability of the gospel. Let's look back at the first four chapter, uh, verses of chapter 2 together. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels, see the role, proved to be reliable. Every transgression, however, or disobedience received a just retribution. Here's the warning. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The first thing we see here is the possibility of drifting away from the gospel. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a canoe, in a river, or in a boat that, uh, with a water that has currents or anything, or been fishing out in the ocean, but if you ever park a boat somewhere, and you don't anchor it into ground, something that's not going to move, what's going to happen to that boat? It's going to drift. It's going to go downstream. It's going to be either carried one way, tossed to and, to and fro by waves, and specifically in a river, 
If, if you just anchor it and think you're good, I mean, uh, don't anchor it in that river and just kind of park, you are going to drift downstream. You're going to be carried by the waters of something. And that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that we can't just say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm really just going to uh, not uh, take my Bible reading seriously. I'm not going to take uh, being devoted to, to God in prayer and going to him. I'm just not a praying guy. I don't really talk to God that way. You know, We can't fall for those subtle lies like that. What's going to happen if we untether ourselves from these things that keep us anchored? We're going to drift. There's a possibility of drifting away and drifting away from the gospel. Also first notice here that to be saved by Jesus, you must hear the gospel. And that means there's got to be someone proclaiming it. And this might sound obvious to some of us, but this is why we need other followers of Jesus in our life at every other point in our life. Like, you didn't come to the good news of the gospel by yourself. Even the people who received the dreams by angels in you know, you know, some country somewhere else, you know the first thing they do? They go find other followers of Jesus to connect themselves with. That's the first thing that they do. Your heart should yearn and long to be in community with other people, to, 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 to enjoy the good news of the gospel together, but also to proclaim it to one another. It takes other people speaking the good news of the gospel, reminding us of the good news of the gospel all the time in order to keep us tethered and anchored. Because if not, we are going to drift. And we need people telling us at the beginning of our walk with Jesus, but every other day after us. Now to address something a bit controversial. Now, I believe that if you have truly been saved by Jesus, there's no way that you can get out of that deal. Like, Jesus isn't just going to, like, forget you in the drunk drawer. You're not just going to, like, be able to run away. J Jesus is going to get you. If he is, would take on human form, die the death that we deserved on a Roman cross in order to save you and I from our sin, and he's powerful enough to, as a baby, still uphold the world and the universe by the word of his power, he's not going to lose you. If he has saved you and brought you into the family, I take what Jesus says in John 10 quite literally, that none can snatch them from Jesus's hand. Now, here's the huge caveat with that. You can make a huge mess of your life. You can live in unrepentant sin and be wrecked by guilt daily. You can ruin your marriage you can seriously cast doubt on other people being able to affirm your confession of Jesus as your king by what you have done. He'll plead with you here. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give yourself over to sin. Don't drag the name of Jesus through the mud. Don't, tell your, don't tear your family apart. Repent from your sin. Go back to the Savior who has already saved you. Turn back to the God who saved you by his own blood. See, and it's not just for those of us in the room who are carrying around some massive weight of guilt because of this entrenched sin in your life. or some, It feels like you're standing on the edge of like falling off into eternity, into the abyss right now. I'm not just talking to those people in the room. Every single day, we need this. I need this. I need to know and remember that all of life is one of repentance, continual repentance. Because I don't know about you, I haven't stopped sinning yet. 
guess what? None of you have either, okay? We're all here just as in need of Jesus as we were yesterday. And tomorrow, yes, we're going to need the same amount of Jesus then as well. Every day is one of repentance. Every day we get up, we put our pants on, and we get choose to live a life of repentance before God. But if we don't, here is the bad news. There's a warning what's at stake if we do. The writer puts it really clear. If you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die. Now, where have we heard this before? If you've read your Bibles or heard stories in the Old Testament, you've probably heard this before, right? This is what Moses does outside of the promised land. He says, hey, I got one sermon left to give you guys because... Oh, goodness. There it goes. That's weird. I wonder if it's a battery issue. Man, I don't want to have to preach with this thing. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens here. If it drops again, then I'll switch. Um, but he's outside the promised land. He's got one final sermon. I hit the rock in disobedience, and uh, I'm going to die before actually we, you guys get to go in the promised land. And he gives them the sermon. It's basically this. If you obey, you live. And if you disobey, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Again, it's the same story of of God in the garden with Adam and Eve. What does he say? (laughs) It's the same thing. If you eat of the trees uh, everywhere else in the garden, you're going to live. Eat of this one tree, the the, the knowledge of good and evil here, you're going to what? You're going to die. This this is the same story over and over and over for us. If there was a just retribution to disobedience to the law delivered by angels, How much more retribution to those who reject the gospel of Jesus, reject the Son of God and his gospel? It's not a fun reality, but we are all sinners deserving hell. What makes this good news of the gospel actually good news is that Jesus has borne the pains of sin and death and went through hell for us, paid the debt that we owe, though, like the song that we just sang, He paid the debt that we owed. And if you neglect this great salvation of Jesus as Lord and King, you will receive a just retribution. If you submit to Jesus as King and Lord, you get to live eternal life in him. But then the writer of Hebrews ends this passage uh, with this, a reminder of the reliability of the gospel. And what a fitting end to a sermon. It's almost like the letter of Hebrews was an amazing sermon, and hint, hint, I do believe it is. (laughs) I think what we're actually reading here in in this letter to the Hebrews is one long sermon. Uh, Should we just go through the whole thing today and, you know, leave here about, you know, seven or eight here tonight? Maybe tomorrow I'm around seven or eight, something like that? No, the dreams of pastors, right? Just getting to preach forever. Maybe not me. Maybe Ryan. I don't know. Uh. (laughs) Oh, man, we both preach long sermons. Um... But God didn't just send angels. See, this is the good news of the gospel. God didn't just send angels or prophets or signs. Um, He came himself. God didn't choose to FaceTime in and just tell us good news. He came and lived the the human life that we live to show us the way of of true life and obedience to God. And even this this term, when we say, we we talk about Jesus as the Messiah, this word Lord, it means Messiah, means the, the, the anointed one, who has come, his, the one who is going to reign as king, the one who all the promises of God were going to be fulfilled in, and he came in person to give us this good news. And the way this passage ends is that God also get, showed signs and wonders. 
See, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus made the lame walk. He made the blind see. He cured diseases. He fed thousands. He did miraculous things. He, he, he took a few fish and, and a few loaves of bread and fed thousands of people with it, all to show that Jesus really was who he says he was. He really was God incarnate, and he came to establish his church. But these signs didn't stop there. They continued in the early church where people were healed by the hands of the apostles. People spoke miraculously in other languages and miracles were prayed for and they happened. And some were given miraculous words from God all to build up the church. And these things continue today because Jesus wants to continue to build up his church. And so if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you'd say, I'm not a follower of Jesus at all, the news, good news for you this morning is that you can be. Believe for the first time. You can have freedom from your sin and your shame. You don't have to endure another day of wondering if God is for you or, or against you or if you're right with him or not. You can believe on the Lord Jesus today and be right with him. He can be trusted with everything you've got. And he's the only one powerful enough to set you free. And if you believe that good news, maybe this morning for the first time, let someone know. Come talk with me. Come talk with one of the pastors or people with an I can help badge on. They would love to help you get connected here. We'd love to baptize you. Uh, maybe next week, that'd be amazing. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus this morning, continue to believe. Continue. Don't drift away. Anchor yourselves in community. Anchor yourselves in the word of God. Anchor yourself to God himself through prayer. If you have doubts, talk about them. That's what this whole community thing is for. No one's pretending we've got all of our theology perfectly correct here. No one's pretending that we have all of the answers. No one's pretending here that, that you know, second to Jesus, we're pretty close on the list here. You know, like, no, none of us, we are all sinners here in need of, of a Savior, and we are all working together to encourage one another up, to stir one another up, to love and good works as we hope for the day that Jesus comes back and makes all things new. If you're here and you do have doubts, be bold enough to confront them, knowing that God can handle them, and be honest about what is taking your attention. Back at the beginning of the sermon, I asked, what impresses you? And I ask it again, what impresses you? What's the thing that's taking your time and your attention and your energy and you're devoting so much of yourself to following that thing or learning about it while your relationship with Jesus lays in anguish? And maybe you are a little bit more uh, too untethered. You don't have as much of a grasp on that anchor as you think you do. Or maybe you just need to be honest that you don't at all. Anchor yourself in God's word. Anchor yourself in God through prayer and anchor yourself in this church community. Uh, what, maybe it's getting plugged in with a community group like we talked about earlier with Emily Ruth. Maybe it's joining a Bible study or jumping into the theological development cohort to kind of work through some really hard theological issues and, and answer those things for you. See, an easy way to connect is by talking with someone after the gathering, just literally standing up and saying, hey, my name is, and shaking someone else's hand. It really is that easy to get connected here. Uh, maybe if you're a little bit of a social introvert, maybe you fill out that connect card and drop, drop it in the bucket when it passes later. Um, but church, let me pray that we would live into this reality, that, that we really would believe that Jesus is greater than anything and that he really has provided our great salvation. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning, I, I pray that we really would believe again this good news of the gospel. 
um, that although angels have done uh, incredible things, they are just servants of you, God. Um, that they're assisting us in our um, walk as followers of Jesus and helping um, as we seek to believe in you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that these words, these harsh words of warning um, about uh, the, what will happen if we neglect utterly the salvation that you have provided, God. Um, God, I pray that it would fall um, on the ears that need to hear it. God, uh, for those of us that feel tender and feel weak uh, in our faith, um, but it is genuine and true, God, I pray that we feel encouraged this morning uh, knowing, Jesus, that you will never let us go. Uh, Jesus, that you hold us, um, and um, that's all that matters. Uh, Jesus, you are strong enough uh, to conquer sin and death and hell and the grave, um, and you are strong enough to hold on to us as feebly as we may try to hold on to you. Our hope is never found in our, our ability to hold on you, but rather your ability to hold on us. You are King Jesus, and you rule over all. May we submit ourselves to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.